Okay, I wrestled with this sermon a little bit because uh, I grew up Church of Christ, and, and uh, the, some of the things I'm going to say today, um, I don't think any, uh, don't think many of us, uh, I think we all agree with what I'm going to say today. But because I've grown up Church of Christ, if you grew up Church of Christ, you know there's certain issues you don't necessarily tackle all the time. And I'm going to, within this sermon, within this particular sermon, I'm going to tackle one of them. And, uh, but before I do that, I'm going to tackle a bigger issue uh, that, we have, that we've wrestled with as a movement ever since it began. And it, there's a saying that we've always had in the churches of Christ um, that, that tra- tra- hopefully keeps us on track and keeps us unified, but it has actually served to do the opposite. Um, it, if, I hope you've enjoyed this. This has been fun for me to go through these sayings. Uh, next week we will, um, if you want to mark your calendars, next week's a Sunday. We meet again next week. Every Sunday, really, we meet here. 1030, uh, 9.30 Bible class, and we, but next Sunday we're going to start a new series called, and I really, I, I can't stress the emphasis enough, so if you tell your friends we're going to start a series, the new sermon series is called, here it is, what just happened? That's what it's called. What just happened? It's about the miracles. Um, the miracles Jesus performed, there's, there's this sense that we've always kind of just said, oh yes, and he made fish into a bunch of fish, and yes, and like you do, and it's crazy. I mean, to put our shoes in the people, put ourselves in the shoes of the people experiencing those miracles and how we can see that and um, be um, benefited by that. We're going to start a series on that, and that series is going to end on Easter Sunday with the resurrection, because that is the biggest what just happened of all. Um, so come back, we're, this is the end of this series, we're going to start a new one. Next Sunday, and then in two Sundays, you gotta come. I mean, next Sunday, you really gotta come, but the sun, two Sundays, you really gotta come. Uh, February 14th, the Good News Singers will be here. They'll help lead our worship. Um, it will be incredible. Um, I'll still preach, it'll be the same. Uh, but we are really excited about them coming. Uh, we will have potluck that day to feed the teenagers. Um, and you know how teen- teenagers can eat. Um, yeah, a lot well, more than that. More than that. Okay, so I want to address this, this saying we've always had, and I'm going to do it in two fra- phases here. The first part I really like. I really like the first part of this saying, and it goes like this. Speak where the Bible speaks. I... Love that idea. We are going, we are going, where the Bible says things, we are going to say things. Now, if I could invent a time machine and go back in time to um, find Thomas Campbell or Alexander Campbell or the first people who started saying this, I would, I would want to go to that meeting and I'd want them to say, you know what? We need to speak where the Bible speaks. At that point, I would have stood up and said, fire! And like made everyone run out of the room. Because I don't want him to finish it. Because the, re- the other part of that sentence has got us in trouble throughout our whole tradition's lives. And that is, be silent where the Bible is silent. Now, what this means, and maybe you see this and you say, well, that's, that actually is a pretty good idea. Be, to actually speak. Where the Bible speaks, and to only be silent, not have any arguments, not have any opinions. We're really going to be silent where the Bible is silent. 
to do that is actually a good idea. But what happened was we started converting that to mean I'm going to speak where the Bible speaks. And then I'm going to argue even louder my opinion when the Bible doesn't say anything about it. So we've been speaking where the Bible speaks and we've been shouting when the Bible is silent. And it has caused argument after unnecessary argument in our, in our tradition. I'm sure not, they might not have had these phrases, but the same sort of thing has um, hurt other traditions. Argument after argument over the Bible's silence. Thomas Campbell wrote a, uh, Thomas Campbell, the guy who we, we really feel like was the one who started our particular movement. Thomas Campbell had a, um, had an article that he wrote in which he said, we are going to have to necessarily infer some things from scripture because the Bible doesn't answer all the questions that we have. Far be it from me to disagree with Thomas Campbell. But if the Bible doesn't answer the questions that you have, the Bible doesn't care about your questions. It doesn't. The Bible tells us all we need to know. And taking, taking this, this, these other small issues and saying, well, the Bible doesn't say we could do this, and the Bible doesn't say we can do that, so we must not be able to do these things creates these unnecessary disagreements and splits has split time and time again the body of Christ. The people who are joined together because of the resurrection, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, because of the kingship of Jesus, people have gotten together and said, we are going to be a church because Jesus is our Lord. They have said, well, we can't be around each other because you want to clap and we don't. We have split over Ridiculous stuff. And there's a scripture in, um, in Titus that, that hits me hard and hits, I think, our tradition hard. And I think we really need to speak where the Bible speaks. And I think we actually really need to be silent where the Bible is silent. But to put it better, we should say we, we will only speak when and where the Bible speaks. And then just leave it at that. We will only speak where the Bible speaks. Titus um, Titus 3, starting in verse 3, says, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions, pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So like the worst way to live is just debauchery and uh, giving in to your selfish desires, and it leads you to hating yourself and hating one another. That's where sinful life leads you. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Here, Paul sums up the Christian experience and says, you were horrific and you were saved. 
by the grace of the one who saved you. Not by what you did, not by how right you got it, not by how good you were. You were saved by Jesus because, not because you were good, but because he wanted to save you. You were saved by Jesus because he wanted to redeem you. You were saved by the grace of God. That's the story, the beautiful story of the Christian life. It's the beautiful story of the Christian. And so we get to to this story and at the end we say, wow, we've been saved and united and redeemed by this Jesus. Why aren't you doing that? I don't know. I wanted to. The Bible doesn't say you can do that. It doesn't say I can't do that. Well, I don't think you should do that because the Bible doesn't say you should. Well, I think I can do it because the Bible doesn't say I shouldn't. And all of a sudden, we've got this argument going on between me and you about, and guess what has just faded and disappeared into the background? The story of Jesus. The story of the grace of the Redeemer who brought us to this place of salvation. Just disappeared. Goes away. And Christianity becomes about interpreting like all the opinions and all the, the right ways of doing things. You come to the Mineral Springs Church of Christ. At least you came here this morning. I want, I want you to know one thing very sure about this particular church. We aren't doing it perfectly. We're not. We're not we feel like we're doing a pretty good job. We're doing the best we can. We're not nailing it. All the way through. We're just almost nailing it. Almost. But I love this church. I love the churches of Christ. I love my traditions. But it's when we start sanctifying our traditions, when we start sanctifying our opinions, when we start sanctifying the silence that we've interpreted, the more we sanctify those things, or the more we make those things holy, the less holy there is to go around. And Jesus loses His glory as we proclaim our righteousness instead of God's. He says, this is the story of the Christian life. And then he goes on. This is a trustworthy saying. That the last little line. Um, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. Stress the things about Jesus, that you were once in a place, and now you're not in that place because of Jesus and because of His grace, and you have been poured out on the whole, the Holy Spirit's been poured out on you, and you now live a, you are now heirs. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. The message of Jesus uh, pushes us to do what is good. These things are excellent. These, this story, this gospel, this good news is excellent and profitable for everyone. So you want to say, what's the best thing we can be speaking about? Well, it's actually the thing that the Bible speaks about. That Jesus is king. Jesus is resurrected. He is, Jesus sacrificed for our sins. We have the Holy Spirit poured out on us. And we are now moved, because of that story, to do the good works of God. To be what He created us to be. To be His workmanship, His work of art. Then He goes, but avoid foolish 
controversies and genealogies, who's, who's better because of the, their parents, and arguments and quarrels about law because, because these are unprofitable and useless. They are unprofitable and useless. Now, I grew up in the Church of Christ. I was um, actually born in a pew at a Church of Christ. <laughs> born and raised in a Church of Christ. When people say that, I always think, really? That sounds unsanitary. <laughs> I was Church of Christ. All right. I go to church since a little baby and um, know the routine. I know what happens. You, you get up and give announcements. You have three songs, prayer, song. You stand up before the sermon because you're going to be sitting for a while. And then you have an invitation song. Usually no one comes forward, but if they do, that's our cue to wonder what they did, you know? <laughs> and then there is a... And then, then you have a... Um, a closing prayer, and I, I, I attended the Church of Christ so long that I could even spot when the preacher was about done. That was nice. We started. He stopped making his points and just started circling the airport. Airport, you know, he could do that for a while. Just circle, not land the sucker. I'm pretty good at that too. But I knew I knew the routine. To sing, we had a guy get up and just start the song, and we all sang. Didn't think anything about it. That's just what we did. And then I remember asking why we did that. And since then, since I've asked why, I've had a lot of people ask me, why why don't y'all use instruments when you sing? I'm going to tell you my answer in a second. But I'm going to tell you the old, old traditional answer right now. Because in Ephesians 5.19 5, and in the passages in Colossians 3, it says for us to sing and make, encouraging each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. And we take that verse and we say, see there, instruments aren't mentioned. Um, except if you count one of the Greek words. But let's ignore that. Instruments aren't mentioned. And so we said, well, see, we don't do it because the Bible tells us not to. And in a sense, the Bible tells us it's a sin. Now, this is a tough sermon for me because a lot of you didn't grow up Church of Christ. A lot of you have been coming to the Church of Christ for three months and that's it. And this is really like a weird thing. And I'm going to get defensive for a second. Your church has weird things too. This is just ours. <laughs> so w- this is an odd thing. So people say, well, why, why do y'all do that? Well, the, the short answer for... A long history of the churches of Christ is because it's a sin and we think you're going to go to hell if you do. I don't know if you grew up in that culture, but I did. 
And it is a very dangerous thing to interpret the silence of the Bible and it fits all of your traditions perfectly. See, my rule with sin, and this is my rule, and you may disagree with my rule, but that's fine. You, we, we, you can be, you'll realize you're wrong in heaven. There is, my rule for sin is the Bible will tell me if it's a sin. Lust, murder, anger, judgment, um, impatience, uh, there, there, greed, uh, slothfulness. There, there's a list. There's time and time again, Paul makes these long lists of sins. Since it's in every time the Bible tells me something is a sin, it tells me it's a sin. It doesn't leave me guessing at what it did not say. And the God who, the God who sent his only son to die on the cross so that we might have forgiveness and be resurrected with him. The God who loves us so much that He gave His only begotten Son isn't going to condemn us because we didn't interpret His silence properly. If you want to say it's a sin, it, the burden's on you. You have to show me the verse. You have to show me a verse that says it's, instrumental music is a sin. Unless you can do that, it's not. It's just the fact. The burden of proof is on you and you can't go skipping through the Bible, grabbing verses that you please and linking them together and saying it's fact. You can make the Bible say anything that way. To me, that's like taking like two or three puzzle pieces from each puzzle and laying them on a board and sort of shoving them together and claiming it's a Picasso. It's just not intellectually accurate what's more is there are there there are places in the old testament where it says praise god with a harp and then there's places in revelation where it says that they're they're holding harps now good church of christ then you would probably go well it doesn't say that they're playing them you know it's just they're holding them (laughs) muting them close to the body So is God really going to keep us out of heaven for something He commanded the people in the Old Testament to do and something they're doing in heaven? For failing to interpret His silence. Okay, so I've told you the old reasoning, told you why I disagree with the old reasoning. Now let me tell you my reasoning. Because I still worship at a church with with acapella. And the first time you want to roll in, Rob, a piano into this church. First time you want to do that, I I would say, I don't. I don't want that. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I worship a cappella at a church of Christ. Because it's our tradition and I like it. I think we're good at it and it sounds good. Also, I like there's this element to, to a cappella singing that's beautiful to me. Because it feels like we're representing the church. Like what a church is. Because we're all singing with our different abilities and our different backgrounds and our different styles. Um, we got different parts. People sing alto and soprano and um, off-key. And there's... Got all the different parts. They're all singing together and they're making this unison. And it's a beautiful thing. For all of us as a community, no one's more special. Uh, Bobby's more special. But no, no one else is more special. 
We're just all together lifting our voices simultaneously to God and doing the best we can. I love it. So I'm going to keep doing it. And the Bible doesn't speak to it. So I'm free. I get to, I get to sing a cappella if I want to. So that's why we do it. That's why I do it. You may disagree. You may do it for a different reason, and that's fine. God love you. But there, there is... Can, can you see the danger, though, in making that a focal point of our Christian faith? When the real, the trustworthy saying, the thing that should be repeated over and over again, is not about instruments or a cappella. It's about Jesus walking out of the grave. And if we make our salvation about the fact that we worship God properly one hour a week, we can take Jesus clean out of the picture. See, these controversies, these, this, is, this is awful. He says, stay away from them. Let's read this verse again. He says, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies, genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. Quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable, they're unprofitable, they don't produce anything, and they're useless. Notice what he says next. Warn a, div- a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. Not one after the other, like, you better watch it, you, be- you, you know, let them be divisive twice, and then warn them twice. After that, have nothing to do with divisive people. Have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful, that they are self-condemned. I'm glad the Bible says that, because if I would have just come out and said that, y'all would have said, well, that seems a bit harsh. People who are constantly, who constantly think that their way is the absolute best way and all must adhere to my way before you are even considered to be part of the church. All must have it exactly right. Paul argues that the people who are insistent on being argumentative and being divisive, that they are self-absorbed, they're, 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 they're not good people to be around. We need to speak where the Bible speaks. And we need to actually be silent where the Bible is silent. Here's a, here's a good and trustworthy thing to say about the Bible. I don't know. Because a lot of times you don't. Just, I don't know. But let me tell you what I do know. That's a great, people say, you know in the Bible whenever they did this or that, why did they do that or this? I don't know. But let me tell you what I do know. Jesus is the Son of God. He lived among us and with us. He taught beautiful things like love your neighbor as yourself. Beautiful things like don't judge lest you be judged. Jesus taught these beautiful things and then they, they crucified him and, and he, they buried him. But then he got out of the grave and everything has changed for the world since. And everything has changed for me since I got my head around it. A lot of times, the most interesting discussions people want to have about the Bible are about when it's silent. But let's not, let's say, let's take those moments and say, oh, I don't know. But I'll, I'll speak where the Bible speaks. 
I'll tell the story the Bible tells. I'll do the things the Bible asks me. I'll follow Jesus like the Bible asks me. I'm not going to get into these arguments. I'm not going to get into these arguments about stuff the Bible doesn't talk about. I'm not going to try to make, and we're not going to try to make, the Bible answer questions that the Bible didn't ask. And I'm not going to hold things on other people and make them do things and believe things because I've skipped through Scripture grabbing this verse here and that verse there and I've shoved them together to sanctify what I've always done. Do you notice when we do that, when we skip through the Bible, grabbing Scripture here, Scripture there, the thing we, we never come up with something that makes me need to change my mind. It always just makes me feel holier than I always, that, that makes me feel like I'm right. Makes me think your motives and our motives of skipping aren't that pure. We will, we will proclaim the message of Jesus. We will speak about what the Bible speaks about. Because it is in that message, it is in that sentence that Jesus was the Son of God. He died and was resurrected and is King. The, the, the world truly finds hope there. The, hope, the world does not find hope in your opinions about whether the Bible didn't say. The world finds hope in the person, the Savior, the King, the resurrected Jesus. That, that's where we have hope. So let's abandon the petty arguments. Let's abandon that stuff. And if, if you're having to tie verses together to make something say something, you just untie the verses and let them speak and say what they have to say. Let the, let the Bible... To you. And then turn and consistently speak where the Bible speaks. You'll find that you don't get into arguments. As much as you just get into these wonderful discussions. About life. And living and following Jesus. Two ways of doing things. Why do you guys sing without instruments? Because of sin and you're going to hell if you don't. Second way. Because we're free to. It's a tradition and we like it. And we're actually pretty good at it. Been to places where they're not. I don't know if, I don't know if you can say this, but I've been to some churches of Christ that needed a piano. But... <laughs> just one note. Not like a, not this cacophony of notes, but just... Just keep them on key for a second, you know. Will you edit that out of the video, please? No, but we, 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 want, to, we want to speak like the Bible speaks. And our language is, it shouldn't be about these controversies and these opinions. It should be about the Savior who got up out of the grave and is king. I, I can't stress that enough. And you, listen, you can, agree, you can disagree with me about the whole instrument thing. That's fine. You can disagree with me about that. Just back away from it. Because it's not the point of Scripture. 
have your opinion. But the point of Scripture is this, this person of Jesus who changed the world. Not this one little Scripture that tells us we should sing. Actually, if you look at that verse, it tells you, you don't, don't go to these drunken parties. Stay at home. Sing with each other. That's what it's, that verse is about. So we are going to speak where the Bible speaks. To only speak where the Bible speaks. To only tell that story. Because like, what, like Rob said in the communion thoughts, we, we have a, a, an obligation to proclaim Jesus crucified and resurrected to this world. And if all we're doing is proclaiming the practices and traditions and opinions of our church, we have missed a golden opportunity to talk about something way uh, much more worth our while and much more saving and much more full of grace. So go this week and speak about what the Bible speaks about. You don't have to know all the opinions. You don't have to know all the details. Just know the story. Jesus was on earth and he died and he resurrected and he is king and we are following him and the Holy Spirit leads us down that path. That's what the Bible speaks about and that's what we will consistently and continuously speak about. That's how we will live. That's how we should live. Because the message of the Bible, the thing the Bible speaks about is so powerful that just letting it fall out of your mouth changes the room. Your opinions can't do that. Your interpretations of silence can't do that. But speaking where the Bible speaks changes a room, changes a family, it changes a community, it changes a church. I'll say this, and I'll close with this. We have a couple things after this. We have a baby blessing. We have uh, a young man who's going to get baptized. Um, and I've, I've preached in a lot of different churches. Never full-time, but I've preached in Methodist churches. I've preached in Baptist churches. Um, I've preached in a, an assembly of God one time. And every time I do that, um, the, the, the people at the Baptist church will come up the people at the Methodist Church will come up. The people at the um, Assembly of God Church will come up, and they'll say, "You would make a great." And then they would just say whatever it is they are. Um, my response is, "Thank you," and by "thank you," I mean you don't know me very well. But I just say thank you. But I know what's going on. I know what's happened. I figured it out. I go to these places and I talk about Jesus. They're tired of hearing about their church. I'm tired of hearing about the church of Christ. I want to hear about Jesus. Don't preach to me about your tradition. Preach to me about this resurrection. Don't preach to me about your opinions. Preach to me about this king. And when people hear that, they're, just, they're like, oh, wow, you'd make a good one of us. But here's, the, here's the beautiful thing. They're wrong because I'm, I already am one of them. We're following Jesus together. We have these odd opinions. We have these disagreements. You have things, you Baptists have things that um, you can make fun of us, Church of Christ, about. And um, we have some things, actually a lot of things, we can make fun of you about. 
You know, I'm just joking. I'm not joking. No, but we have, we're, we're all goofy. We're all peculiar. We all have our peculiarities and we all find each other's peculiarities quite peculiar. But what's beautiful is we all have this Jesus we're following. And that should, that should bring us, that should link our arms. As I said at the beginning of this sermon series, if we could go, before we started our arguments, before we started our debates, if we could all go to the tomb and look at the tomb and say, yeah, the tomb's empty. Another person says, yeah, the tomb's empty. Jesus is king. And they say, Jesus is king. I say, Jesus is Lord. They say, Jesus is Lord. I say, grace, grace has forgiven us. They say, grace has forgiven us. And we, we say, okay. Now, what was it that we were talking about? And let's not forget what we were talking about. Let's have the discussion. But if we start the discussion with what the Bible speaks about, then we can have all sorts of kind and um, disagreeing um, conversations. But they can be nice and loving and kind. They can be unified. But we have to only speak where the Bible speaks. And not shout when the Bible is silent. Because the story the Bible speaks of is better than any story we can come up with on our own. If you want to follow that Jesus, if the Bible has spoke to you today, Bible has spoken to you today. Please don't waste another week living for yourself. Follow the resurrected king and start speaking where the Bible speaks today. Let your life speak where the Bible speaks. If you need anything this morning, please come forward while we stand and sing. Jesus, I come, Jesus, I come, enter thy freedom, kindness and light. Jesus, I come to thee, out of my sickness, enter thy help, out of my want, and into thy will, out of my sin. And into thyself, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my shameful failure and loss, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come into the glorious gain of thy cross. Jesus, I come to thee.